This is part two of Are Your Ripples Wrong? Wasn't there a Harry Potter one up there somewhere in the midst of that? There was one. Um, what if Dumbledore doesn't put on the ring? That's significant. Um, why doesn't he put on the ring? Is it because he's able to overcome the temptation or the curse? Or because he doesn't find it? So either way, he comes back to Hogwarts having not put on the ring. So he's not dying. Which means he doesn't hatch that plot with Snape. Well, Snape wasn't there. Um, Dumbledore went by himself and he called Snape later to get help. Um, Snape didn't even know what it was. I don't think he ever told Snape about, Snape about the Horcruxes, did he? No, I don't think Snape knew about the Horcruxes. I think the mm -hmm. only person who knew about the, the only he was very careful not to tell anybody but Harry basically about the Horcruxes. Because he it because it, it could have gotten back to Voldemort if Snape knew that Dumbledore knew, which would have been bad. Um, so let's say for instance he does get the ring, but he doesn't put it on. He's strong enough to not do it. Recognizes it is recognizes that it's got a wasting curse on it. Whatever he comes back to Hogwarts, um, he's not dying, so um, he's not facing his mortality anymore. He doesn't make the deal with Snape to kill him. In, in Malfoy's place. He may or may not st let Draco continue to try to kill him throughout the year. I mean, because he still wanted to save him, right? Um, he doesn't I mean, share those memories with Harry. No, he doesn't have any reason to because he's not dying. He doesn't share any of it with Harry. And it would be horrifically tragic that if Draco ended up killing him because it's not until Dr until Dumbledore faces his own mortality that he passes on that he truly passes on the information that Harry Potter needs to, to defeat Mold um, Voldemort which is terribly vain and disgusting yeah um so usually when I'm trying to do something that is canon divergent and trying to figure out the ripples. Uh, either I'm bringing in a catalyst, somebody to out from the outside to generate the ch the change that that creates the circumstances, or it's somebody with an outside perspective that says something, or the character overhears something. But there's usually an addition to canon, right? There's something you're bringing in to be an interrupt at a key moment. And in this particular case, so one of the suggestions was that. Dumbledore couldn't break the wards, and so he has to ask for Harry's help. So presumably, with Harry being a parcel mouth, but the question then becomes, well, why couldn't he break the wards? So this is a case of where if you're going to do something like that, you then have to have be the, come up with the reason why he couldn't break the wards, because clearly he did in canon. So what is it that's happened? If your divergence point is that he's unable to break the wards, you got to work out what that why he couldn't break them. Um, so I guess I personally would move the ring. The ring wasn't there, which means Riddle moved it. So he doesn't get the ring versus he doesn't put it on. Um, and so each of those is a little bit of a different scenario, right? If you want, if you want Riddle to get suspicious and move the ring because he's being paranoid, um, work out. Even if you don't explain it on screen, you need to work out why he got paranoid. And decided to move the ring. So shortly after he tried to possess Harry at the Department of Mysteries. Um, 
maybe he recognizes or realizes that Harry Potter is a Horcrux. And the most vulnerable Horcrux he has outside of the diary, which has already been destroyed, is the ring. It's just under a floorboard in, a, in, in an old shack. With some curses on it. So he moves it. Yeah. So that's the case of where he moves it. Uh, but if Dumbledore just doesn't just try to put it on. Uh, so we, there's three, three scenarios. One, he moves it. Because he got suspicious about Harry being a Horcrux. Two, um, Dumbledore can't break the protections. Why couldn't he break the protections? Did he hit his head? Did he? Did something happen that was making him magically weaker? Um, did he get spooked? Um, why couldn't he get the ring? So you have to work out what that is. And then the the last scenario is the one where you've got to really work on Dumbledore's internal motivation, which is that he does get the ring, but he manages to, to resist the temptation to put it on. He manages to resist that curse. So why was he able to, was he better prepared for a curse? Did he not touch the ring and therefore, you know, he put it straight into a, a, a bag shielded from by curses. Uh, he took someone with him, but again, why, why? did he take someone with him? You, these are things you just got to work out. Um, who did he take with him and why? Because your divergence point comes at the moment. In each of these scenarios, the divergence point is not that he doesn't have the ring on. The divergence point is why he didn't get it or why he didn't put it on or, you know, whatever it is. So he took someone with him, but why? So you don't necessarily have to explain it. Like you don't have to do a big old thing on screen, but you, you need to understand it for yourself. And even a casual mention shows the reader where your divergence point was. He finds out about the diary's destruction and gets paranoid about the others. I mean, he, he knew about the diary's destruction in canon and didn't get paranoid about the others because he was arrogant as fuck. When he didn't did he get paranoid about the others until the locket got destroyed. When did he find out about the diary's destruction, though? I mean, how could he not know about it? Oh, he was a, he was a homunculus at the time. Wasn't yeah, he? but... He's in Malfoy Manor. Do you think he just didn't even check on his own Horcrux in that manor? Dude, I'm... <laughs> so he wasn't even in a body at that I point. Mean, I mean, after he's resurrected. Does he not ask Lucius Malfoy about the diary he left with him? I mean, I don't recall it in canon. It's ever explicitly Well, yeah, said. I mean... It's not, it's not explicitly said, but I think he had to know the diary was gone. But you could make the case that he didn't check because he didn't check on any of his Horcruxes, right? He didn't check on any of them. He didn't even get paranoid. I think about the snake until either after the locket or after he killed Harry. Oh, he is arrogant as fuck. Well, when did he make his last? It was the death of what's her face. It was when he made Bertha Jorkins. He made he made Nagenia Horcrux, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And that was in that was in that was in Goblet of Fire, right? Yeah, that was when he was still a homunculus. Homunculus. Well, when he was still an ugly baby. Um. Okay, I think it's actually a good case to be made that whatever sanity he had that enabled him to enact a reasonably you know, any kind of, I mean, he was clearly sane enough and competent enough that on, on the back of Quirrell's head, he accomplished a fair amount trying to get the Philosopher's Stone. He managed to break into Gringotts, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
So he clearly was still with it at that point. But you could, I think you could make the case that making that last Horcrux completely fried his itty bitty little brain. Um, and that he was just batshit insane and that he may not have checked on the rest of his Horcruxes. I mean, yeah, that makes total sense. I imagine he was getting a lot of stability from Quirrell. So, I mean, maybe, it, maybe that's why he's so he's so invested in Harry's education. He spent that whole year riding in the back of a teacher's head. <laughs> that's like the funniest thing I've ever heard. Okay. <laughs> okay. I honestly think that Voldemort was the only one who took Harry's education seriously. Well, it'd be really great if he would, but he, if he would time his end of year attacks, you know, after finals, though. Um, but at least he let him get all the learning in so he could take the makeup. But the thing is, this is one of those cases, in, in this particular case, with this particular scenario, this is one of those cases where I think you have to do it twofold, right? Which is you have to reverse engineer and then work it forward again. It's sort of like cross-checking yourself, which is that what is the outcome you're trying to achieve? Okay. If the outcome you're trying to achieve is that, I don't know, pick one of these outcomes is the one you're trying to achieve. Pick one. You, Kira, pick one. What? Pick one that you pick. Pick one of these scenarios is the one that you want. Because we've talked about all the different possible scenarios. Pick pick the one that you would want. Just just pick, pick the, the one, one I would want. Um, he takes somebody with him because I wouldn't want the ring to be in play. Okay, so Dumbledore takes the, somebody with him. He takes Moody. Moody with him. Okay, so if that's the scenario you want, this is when you back it up to find the divergence point that allows that to happen and go, okay, so Dumbledore's going to go on a Horcrux hunt and something happens that makes him decide he's going to have somebody with him. And so he's got this extra person with him. It's when they break the protection and Dumbledore starts to reach for the ring, a ring and Moody, you know, blasts Dumbledore away from it and gets the ring into a curse bag or something. Okay. So, but then what you do, is once you've backtracked and go, okay, this is the this is the outcome I like. This is the way I want to go, and you've reverse engineered to your to your canon divergence point. Then what you have to do is forget about where you were going, and take your canon divergence point, and work through it logically to make sure you actually get to that place. Because sometimes, when you are reverse engineering. When you're backing up, when you're going, okay, this is the outcome I want. How do I get to it? If you step forward through the things, if they, they, they aren't actually probable. It's like, well, yeah, it could have gone that way, but it's actually much more likely that they would have just told their parents there was a three-headed dog in the on the third floor corridor. I mean, and I think that, <laughs> I think sometimes this is the case of a lot of times I see what authors have done is they wanted to get to a certain outcome. And so they back up, but they don't ever like double check it going forward to make sure it makes sense as a progression of events because you're going, well, yeah, that really complicated thing could have happened, but Occam's razor, odds are they'd have done something simple. So, you know, just double check it to make sure that it, it, it holds together as a logical sequence of events. And in this case, I think it would, it, you know, the cross check works fine. 
you know, whatever happens, it causes Dumbledore, or maybe Moody's the one who has a moment of paranoia and goes, where the hell are you going? Maybe, maybe it's shortly after there's, they've set up the Fidelis at, um, um, Grandma Place, um, and they're getting everything settled. Um, no, this is, this is between fifth and sixth year, isn't it? They've checked on Grandma Place. Um, no, no, let's back it up to the, they're having a meeting about the events of the Department of Mysteries. The, the the order is and Dumbledore's getting ready to leave Moody asked him where he's going he says I got a little thing to do I'm going to go look at something and Moody says well, you know what I think I'm going to go with you oh, no, 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 you don't have to go with me old friend no no we've lost too many already I don't think we should be doing solo missions so let's just not do that anymore let's, let's go let's go in pairs from now on make it a order situation and Dumbledore in, indulges Moody because Moody's paranoid and it's not worth arguing with and so Moody goes and I don't I don't think Moody would let him pick up the ring at all because he's paranoid as fuck and when right. once Dumbledore told him that they're standing in the middle of Voldemort's old family shack he's gonna be like no you can't pick up shit what's wrong with you I think the minute that, and he has the magical eye. Yeah, I think the minute that Dumbledore started even reaching that direction, that Moody would have actually probably knocked him away or blasted him away or done something to get him physically away from the thrall of the ring, mm -hmm. and he would have then either cast a ward on it or put it into a, you know a dimension store that protected from curses or something. He'd have done something to prevent Dumbledore from touching it. And then, you know, so that becomes, you know, your divergence point is not Dumbledore. It's just important to realize what your divergence point is. The only reason I'm mentioning this is your divergence point. Dumbledore not putting on your, on the ring is your central idea. It is, it is the germ by which the plot is going to grow from. But the divergence point is Moody deciding to go with Dumbledore and preventing him from putting on the ring. And it does change a lot of things because Dumbledore not being confronted with his own mortality, um, he feels like he has more time. So he could actually push the events of canon forward five, six, seven, ten years. Back. Um, yeah, because I think he would go back to playing a long game because that's what he did. Which would give you then potentially give you opportunities for you know, Harry to graduate from Hogwarts and get some outside perspective, outside perspective, anyone, um, to give him a different view of the whole situation with, with Dumbledore and, and how Dumbledore, Dumbledore left him uninformed or, you know, Dumbledore's trying to, you know, actually it could be really, maybe Harry wants to become an, I'm not gonna even try to say it. He wants to become a, a magical cop, and he um, R or I'm not saying <laughs> it. He wants to become that word that she didn't ever say out loud when she wrote it down on paper. Um, <laughs> he wants to be one of those, and he maybe when he goes to have the physical, he, they find all well, you know that he's magic's bound or it could become a that could become a uh the the point where you're you start when you're with your your rising action as that harry finds out that dumbledore has been influencing him and dumbledore's still alive 
Harry's an adult now. Dumbledore's trying to persuade Harry to sign a marriage contract with Ginny Weasley. Well, how does this change things if Harry finds out that Dumbledore's manipulating him as a the legal audio, adult? The audio book says or or. Or or. See, or or. I, or or is taking or roar. Or or roar. That's worse. Or roar. Or, or roar. Is that is the British worse. version of the audiobook or the American version of the audiobook? Or or. See, I can deal with or. I can deal with or. That I can kind of get behind that. But or or just it is dumb. <laughs> the dodo and the cod cod were chased by an or or. It just, <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> I can't deal with it. <laughs> I can't. <sighs> I did think that there was some kind of play on the word aura. And so I was like, aura, 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 the shiny police. Or, or in my head, or is how it has always been in my head. So the or, or, or the or roar, it just the or roar. It sounds so ridiculous. So if the second O was emphasized when they said it, how that how, how would that sound? Roar, or 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 roar, <sighs> or roar. It's terrible. It it doesn't. The my mouth is. It's it's like it's accusing me of speaking French. <laughs> it's not an er sound. I just. I'm gonna go with R or that. That's my pronunciation. <laughs> she could also say wizard or not. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> It'd be great. What is well, it? Wait, wait. What is it? What is it again? The 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 wizard wiz The w- w- was in a moat. Was in a gamote. Was in a gamote. We had a whole discussion about that once in a conversation you may or may not ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a very long discussion about was was in a gamote. Um, and we said we, we we pronounced it like five or six times too. We listened to the lady and pronounced it. Well, we, what, <laughs> what we were listening to is we were listening to pronunciations for Wittenagamote, because I assume Wittenagamote is a derivative of Wittenagamote. So we were listening to pronunciations of Wittenagamote, trying to determine how to pronounce Wittenagamote, because I can't imagine that they're pronounced all that differently. But R or. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Wizzy cops, Wizzy cops. I just can't. Magical cop. MCIS, Magical Criminal Investigation Services. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought it would have been a moot sound or a mot sound, but in um, the pronunciation online, it was a moat. It was a moat. Um, we listened to it repeatedly. It was a moat. Wittenig a moat. I'm sure I'll. I'm usually when I pronounce things wrong, I hear about it. So, you know, somebody will no doubt send me a an audio file of of that during being pronounced the, correctly. During the courtroom scene in the in Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix, did they actually say the word? I think they said. I think. In, I think they say Wizenigamot, but but you know that's that's. I'm not sure that anybody knew how to pronounce anything. 
Well, apparently we've been saying Voldemort wrong too. <laughs> we will be saying it wrong for all time and eternity. It's Voldemort. I'm not saying Voldemort. It, I just that ship that ship sailed. If 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 she wanted us, if to she wanted it, us to say these things right, she should have put out an audio file on Twitter. Or she should have pronounced a a a, a, a pronunciation guide. Put a pronunciation guide at the front of her freaking book. Anyway, um, did I, I? Those are the ones that I had captured in the chat. Did anybody have any others that they wanted us to uh, address? Is this the kind of looking at ripples you guys want? I speak with cotton in my mouth. What do you mean, French. Margaret? Oh, French. French is the language of many of her perfluous letters. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's 16 letters and it's pronounced no. <laughs> it's like, really? No, actually, that's just three, but you know, you get you get what I mean. I hear I, I see somebody's got like it looks like it's got fifty syllables, and my my pop says it, and it's just like one syllable. I was like, where did the rest of the letters go? <laughs> Is that accurate? Or are you just making shit up? Because I actually we don't we don't it's entirely uh, possible with, with with Queenie we 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 don't. It's possible, but it's also possible that she makes stuff up because, you know, she's really good at making stuff. Oh, that's true. The French king paid a dude who didn't speak the language to write it down. The guy was paid by the letter. She says she's <laughs> not making that up. Yeah, but it it still has a lot more. It has way more extraneous letters um, than Spanish or uh, Italian. I mean, just in terms of pronunciation, like there are letters. It's like the, that's crazy cakes. I think you've got a valid point, Reaper. Um, that Valdi is English, and he, you know, assume he would, he would pronounce it. Although except he did take a French name. Well, that's true, but he still doesn't mean he would have. <laughs> Styles becomes Alpha. Um, I'm gonna say up front, I don't buy the Human Alpha. I don't either. Somebody recommended a story to me, Human Alpha thing. It just it my. Which is fine. They recommended the story because it's not on my, you know, taboo list that I've ever told anybody about. But it just, it doesn't make sense that he, to me that humans can inherit werewolf powers without being werewolves. It, it, it just, my need to make sense of the Teen Wolf's supernatural world building should be apparent to anybody who's read my Teen Wolf stories by now, and that doesn't make sense of it in a meaningful way. Uh, you just, why would you have werewolves if humans could just do everything they could do? Um, so I wouldn't go that direction. So, so I don't style. buy the human alpha. I could buy a human leader, but not an actual alpha. But I assume you mean Styles becomes a werewolf and becomes the alpha. So how does Styles become an alpha? Um, well, well, first you have to ask how Styles become a werewolf. Because um, I don't think you would become the alpha if, like, you were bitten and killed the werewolf right away. I think you'd have to actually have, like become a werewolf like survive the bite survive yeah there you have to you have to actually have become a werewolf before you could go kill an alpha and inherit their powers so your real divergence point could be when peter offered styles a bite peter style said yes <laughs> styles killed him um and that styles could kill one of the alpha pack later yeah, but you, well, your divergence point, yeah, your divergence point has to be Styles getting bitten. He has to become a werewolf somehow, and then you know. So then, how does he become an alpha? 
So this is a case of where you, you've got that frontward and backward thing here, right? You want Styles to become an alpha. Who do you want to get the spark from? Do you want him to get it from Peter? If he gets it from Peter, Derek's not going to be an alpha. And maybe that's kosher. Maybe you're fine with that. Um, if you want an alpha pair, you would probably want Styles to get the spark from one of the alpha pack or from a rogue alpha or a rouge alpha. Um, <laughs> one in Depending town. on how you feel about Maybelline. Yeah. Um, one running from the rouge hunters. You would but, have to ask that question. Would becoming a werewolf um, smother Styles' spark? Or would it make it explode? Yeah. So you'd have to, there's stuff you have to work out. When did he become a werewolf? What did it do to him? Um, and then whose spark do you want? So if, 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 you, if you want Derek and Styles to be alphas, um, he needs to get his spark from somebody else. If you want it to be from one of the alpha pack, um, Okay, so Styles needs to become a werewolf at some point before the Alpha Pack rolls into town. Well, who do you want to bite him? Do you want it to be a bite done against his will? Do you want him to be bitten where he's got the kind of trauma to deal with that Scott did? Do you want him to ask for the bite? Do you want him to... You know, I think that's the way I would go. I think I would have him ask. I think I would have him decide, I want to be a werewolf. And just go up to Derek and say, I want to be in your pack. Just... Maybe over all the shit that went down with Gerard Argent and say, Miss Hayden, no. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I think you're going to be stuck with Tangerine. Just... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Tangerine. Oh. <laughs> 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 Just take heart. You're not the first or the last that I've done that to. <laughs> Although you're probably on the first to be nicknamed after a food. <laughs> she call you Ichi. <laughs> Although I don't know if that's how you pronounce that last syllable. Um, anyway, um, I think that I would find that to be an interesting line to pursue is that Styles is so fucking fed up with Scott. And Scott's insistence about the where you know the bites a curse and it's like all this awful things have done to me and he's pissed off about what Scott did about um, you know getting Gerard to bite Derek and his his complete lack of willingness to take any responsibility for that and um, <laughs> now I want to call her Clementine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay. Um, so if if that's it's I could what if what if Style said, "Look, I'll be your pack, dude. You can bite me." Um, and he decides that would be sexier if Styles was an adult. So can we shift it forward a few months, make him eighteen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Derek, Derek could say, "I want you to think about it." Well, see, my I always have Styles turning. 18 September. So if I were to stick with my own dates where Styles turned 18 the next September, um, as opposed to 18 the next April, um, Derek could say, you have to think about it until, or Derek could say, your father has to agree or something. And Noah says, all right, but not till you're 18. Or Derek could just say, you have to sit on it for three months, just something to delay it a little bit. Um, Cause then, then you could have sexy bite. 
Um, you could get the bite and a little Marvin Gaye. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then Styles could get the um, could become an alpha through when when the alpha pack rolls into town. Um, so there's ways to, like I said, there's ways to make that work. It just depends upon who you want to get this, where, where you're getting this alpha spark from, where, when you want Styles to become a werewolf, because that needs to happen ahead of time, at least by a couple of days, I would think. Uh, the alpha pack could kidnap him and bite him, and then he kills one of them and walks out of there or kills all of them. That actually could be an interesting way of exploring Kira's question about his spark. It's his spark reacts very negatively to him being forced to be a werewolf, but it takes, he doesn't reject it, but his spark becomes very unstable and he kills the entire alpha alpha pack himself. Backlash. And maybe he absorbs all of their alpha powers. So it just... Depends upon what angle you want to explore through Styles being bitten. I had the most horrible, horrible idea earlier today when you and I were talking mm-hmm. about something else, which was that um, after the True Alpha thing, which is, I think, is True Alpha 3A or 3B? Somebody can check. Either way, the True Alpha thing happens, and Scott and Styles, Scott, Scott has, Styles has not been as cooperative with Scott as Scott would like. And Scott gets mad at him one day and bites him. Lashes out and bites him. And Scott does it to him. And in that particular scenario, the spark would come from Scott. <laughs> what if Scott did bite him? Either in a fit, a temper, whatever. Um, and Styles is so... Yeah, you have a moment in unobstructive views where he inadvertently puts a how do you say that word? Um G? I say Gius, but it could Gius? be Gaius um, or something. I don't have any Gius idea. Gius on um so what if in Styles' outrage to being bitten, he does something similar to yeah, I don't know how to spell it, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Which is often my circumstance since I taught myself to read. Um, um, but, uh, or often I can't spell it or pronounce it, but I recognize it when I see it. Um, what if Styles' magic lashes out at Scott and punishes him? Takes a spark from him, gives it to Styles, and cripples his wolf. Like it doesn't cure him, it doesn't take it away from him, but it, it's like it's he can know. I mean, he has all of the instincts, but none of the ability. It's like it's suppressed, like he's being punished. Okay, say that out loud. Gesh, gesh. Did you look it up? Gesh, or a hard G is a hard, hard. No, it'd be geesh, 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 geesh. Although I think that sounds crazy. I do too. There's, there's not even an H in it. No, but according to this, it's Jeesh. Man, the Irish. <laughs> the Celtic. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's Gaelic origins. So Jeesh is what, it's, what I'm finding here is saying. But I'm also finding another site that says it's Jeesh. So, you know. 
So, but what if he, you know, Scott bites him in a temper and Styles' spark punishes him? Styles ends up with the was with an additional spark, the alpha spark, but and Scott is basically stripped down to his bones. He's still technically a werewolf. He's not been cured, but he's desecrated the gift so much that Styles' magic suppresses it. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be a dealer's choice. It would depend on, you know, the writer to determine, you know, the extent of Scott's punishment for such, like geese with an H. Are you serious? Well, but here's the thing. I did find just another source that said the Irish spelling is G-E-I-S and that is spelled geesh or, or geesh. Geesh. It's spelled geesh. Geesh. It pronounced geesh and it's spelled G-E-I-S but G-E-A-S is a different dialect and it is pronounced gius gius so gius. i like that one better gius. i like gius better than trying to say geesh which sounds like i'm saying quiche but really confused <laughs> i love quiche i love quiche too perfectly to be perfectly honest i love any kind of pie you put it in a tart shell she's gonna be happy yeah um yeah i like that idea I think that in Styles' as horror, he could do, you know, he could, I mean, that kind of assault coming from his friend, I mean, his best friend, would be an immense trauma. There's no coming back from that. Honestly, really, really realistically, I don't see how Styles remains Scott's friend after the bite rape. I don't either. It just sounds at all. I would never be friends with somebody who could violate somebody else's body autonomy like that. I can't trust. That's a, that is galling. It is just, oh. Yeah, unless he was manipulated with magic. I don't understand it. It's just terrible. But. Which is why I have a really hard time getting into anything that's after that point in canon and writing it successfully is because I don't understand how for for actually for a wide variety of reasons why certain why things didn't change i don't understand styles not telling his father he, he had been kidnapped and beaten up i don't understand and eric and boy were there being tortured i don't understand why he didn't tell his father so and i don't understand why he just continued you know, to realistically that shit should have got scott killed because i don't know how Derek didn't rip his head off i know right and then Even the first opportunity. And then practically the very first scene you see in the next season with Derek and Scott in it is Scott's going to Derek to ask him for advice on how to get a tattoo. It's like, it's just so... I want to stab people over it's that. Such, it's such a disconnect. Although, you know, Derek's the one who blowtorched Scott's arm. It probably was cathartic for him. If only he could have blowtorched you know, the whole thing. Yeah, right. It's like Derek's like, really? You're gonna let me blowtorch you? Take a blowtorch to you? All right. If that's what you really want. It got out of hand. Um, that whole blowtorching thing, by the way, that's one of those things where they I, they did it. I understand they're doing it for effect, right? But it it was ridiculous. It. What is the blowtorch thing? The idea was so Scott gets a a tattoo, and it it, it he, he goes home and it heals itself almost. Not instantly, but pretty close to it. I mean, it's, it stays long enough for the tattoo artist not to get suspicious, which was a crazy plot hole in and of itself because werewolf healing rates are such that he, he should have healed. Um, as it was being done. 
as it was being done. But no, he, so he gets home, his tattoo vanishes, right? And the only way that they, and so he goes to ask Derek, well, Derek's got a tattoo in canon. So he goes to ask Derek, how did you get your tattoo? And, and they get the tattoo like normal, but then they use a blowtorch to bring the ink to the surface of the skin. Um, it was just stupid. It's just dumb. It doesn't make any sense that if it's healed, if, if, the, if, the, if the body has healed it to such a degree that it's taken the ink from the skin and processed it out through the werewolf's advanced immune system, um, blowtorching the arm is not going to do anything but give blisters. So it's not going to bring ink to the surface of the skin. That's just, it's just, it's just dumb as fuck. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, it isn't even the dumbest thing in the show, though. No, but it's just, you know. Um, there, there. I, I did read a. There, there are a couple of like tattoo stories, tattoo AU's, tattoo shop AU's, or whatever, where they figure out how to mix the right kind of wolf spain in with ink to get the tattoos to to stay. But I mean, in general, I mean, you would have to. There has to be experimentation with that, right? They can't just mix wolf spain in because, you know, they get a little bit of wolf spain of the right kind of strain of wolf spain in their system and they die. So it's not an easy thing, I would think, to just figure out. I think Team Wolf needs more tattoo shop AUs. I'm typically not a bad, a big fan of alternate setting AUs, but I'm all in on Team Wolf having. I've read two, and they were both gorgeous. So I, yeah, I'm all in too. They, because usually part of the reason I like it is because Team Wolf people tend to leave the, them as werewolves. You know, werewolves working in a tattoo shop. I'm like, I'm okay. There was one really nice one where um, um, Styles kept having visions of this wolf. And he goes to a tattoo artist, turns out to be Derek, to get this tattoo. And it's Derek's wolf. Oh, he'd been dreaming about him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really good. And hot. <laughs> Which is always great. Um, so I definitely, I, that would be, you know, if I were to ever so, write a big AU, like an alternate setting AU, I could totally see myself doing it. Although I have, I have plotted a necks and throats AU too. Mm, I don't know who thought yeah. of that, but I wasn't mad at it. Now, what is it? Um, it's a shared universe in Teen Wolf. There's a few dozen stories in it, I think, by different authors. It's sort of like the Mag Seven AU mm -hmm. kind of thing. And the idea is that you know, like human throats are like the werewolf version of softcore porn. So um, the first person who did this created this, they said they actually didn't create a story. They created a magazine cover that has a picture of um, Dylan O'Brien with his head tilted back on the cover of the magazine. And it's mm -hmm. called Necks and Throats. And the magazine in one of the first stories written in the AU, um, the Hales run the magazine. And or in other versions, somebody else runs the magazine, but Derek is one of the models. He's one. He's the werewolf model, and Styles comes in as a as a model to model with him. Um, it's sort of like softcore porn for werewolves, and it's very throat focused. So um, I can't really can't recommend. I, you know, like I said, there's there's a few dozen that I know of that are written in necks and throats, but um, I haven't read them all because some of them I don't like the pairing or whatever. But there are quite a few good stories in that because they're all different authors so it's kind of all over the place and people have very different takes on it um in some cases the argents run a competing magazine you know it's, it's a little bit everybody has their own little spin on it but several of the ones i read were really interesting and so i was just inspired after reading a few of these to plot my own version of a necks and throat story so basically necks are like a fetish yeah yeah, that's sort of like looking at a, somebody's butt, but werewolves are more into their 
their necks. It makes sense. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was well reasoned. A um, bit of sensory input. One thing I would say about Scott biting Styles and Styles punishing Scott that Styles would have to pretty much immediately deal with Deaton because Deaton would be a big problem. Scott would certainly seek Deaton out for help, and Deaton is probably the biggest threat in Beacon Hills to Styles. Mm -hmm. I think honestly, if you're writing um, Team Wolf Fick and Styles has magic of any sort, that Deaton is his biggest threat. And he's something, he's a ripple that you must account for every single time. I mean, it. it he's I corrupt think, and morally ambiguous. And it's. Well, he's definitely morally ambiguous. Even in, even in canon, he's morally ambiguous. His. I, it's, it, how corrupt he is, is, is certainly up for interpretation, but I don't think he's a benevolent force. We'll just put it that way. Well, how could a druid of any, like you, you, you feature it in your story. And in when the, the AU I have, he's a, he, he's directly responsible for the Nimbaton and you did it in your second one. that He's directly responsible for the Nimbaton's destruction. How can a druid allow a Nimbaton to be destroyed like that? I, it doesn't make sense. And to be me, good. To, yeah, to me, that's a, an obvious ripple of, of Deaton being a druid, is there's a damaged nematon on, in the preserve. Now, it's not clear in canon exactly when the nematon was damaged and cut down, um, but, you know, it happened sometime before the hail fire, is pretty much all anybody knows, right, in canon. They never were clear about exactly when that happened. Now, for the purpose, my purposes, I decided that Talia Hale um, is was the one who either Deaton did it or Talia he did it Talia did it at Deaton's urging or something. That's why I usually write it. Most people write that it happened in Derek's lifetime, but before the fire. So um well the the Nagitsun was imprisoned there, but I don't think that's what poisoned it, what damaged it. And even the Nagitsun thing wasn't actually the person who was the best source of information as far as I could tell about the Nagitsun was Deaton. And I just don't think he's credible. Someone asked in the chat room, how can somebody be corrupt and be anything other than evil? Well, corrupt doesn't equal evil. It doesn't even come close. Corruption is usually just a state of dishonesty for personal gain. And that might be ugly. It could be illegal. But it doesn't reach the level of evil. And it also greatly depends on perspective. Yeah. And POV is, is everything. Because one person's corruption is another person's normal. Well, but even if you're writing a character, like if you're writing somebody being a corrupt politician, uh, I think that you they could also be evil, but I don't think that corruption in that case implies, necessarily implies evil. Um, you know. Because corruption could equal taking bribes. Yeah. It could, it, that could be, it could be, it could have been because they, they could be corrupt and it could be just be a case of where um, that they got a family vacation in exchange. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimize this as a wrongdoing, but if they got a nice trip out of, you know, giving somebody preference on a, on a bid to build a government building, that's corruption. But I don't think of it as evil. The guy shouldn't be in public office, but he also, you know, it, he doesn't rise to the level of a rapist. So. You know, yeah, I mean, that, which is evil. But, but here's the difference between corruption and evil. Fudge is corruption, Umbridge is evil. Yeah. 
<laughs> so um, I'd have to reread the stuff about the Nagitsu. And one of the reasons I'm, I mean, I just, I don't find um, it's not, that's not, I've never really a plot line I particularly want to deal with. So I done a little bit of reading about it to figure out some stuff about the Nemeton and then kind of, you know, it still wasn't clear exactly when it was cut down. Um, when it became sick, not exactly clear. Was it the effect of the of the Nogitsun being put there? Maybe, but maybe not. Again, it, it's all completely unclear because it could be that the that the Nemeton would have been able to contain the Nogitsun if it hadn't been cut down. So you know, maybe it was a maybe it was corrupted and and diseased after the cut down as opposed to before i mean there are there are or maybe pieces. it was cut down to free the thing right because i do you know you, you could make a case because canon is is so light in information you could make a case that the 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 the, 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 the that was the only place to put it and that if the nematon had remained intact it would have been capable of um containing it but that when it was cut down so I just want to Liz, that truer words have never been spoken. When it comes to Team Wolf, I agree. So it's just she a says matter of light on canon. Very. <laughs> it is so in the case of when it comes to the Nemeton, um, since it's not clear when it was cut down, and it's not clear exactly under what circumstances it was cut down, um, the best data point might be when the Nagitsun was put in it. But I don't think it's clear from what I've read that if the nematon was whole or not when that happened. So in which case, where there are gaps, when I'm working on doing world building for Teen Wolf, I fill in those gaps in a way that is logically consistent and yet serves my story. So it serves my story to have had the Nagitsu, to have the um, nematon cut down um, when the Hales were alive. Um, but after, um, sorry, before the Hales died, um, but after Styles was born. So that's, that's the window that it usually serves me best to have that happen in. Um, in this case, the, in, in the case of the story I just posted last night, uh, the Nagitsun was cleansed by the shaman and the mage who went to, it was taken care of by them because they, of course, recognized that it was there and they dealt with it. So I didn't explicitly call that out because I figured people would figure that out, that they took care of the nuggets soon. Um, so, you know, but if, but because canon is so vague, I could also, you know, change that timeline to suit the needs of a different story. It's just important that those details then be internally consistent with themselves. You know, you not contradict your own narrative. I mean, and usually when I'm doing a canon divergent AU, I try not to even change birth dates and stuff. But since they've given us multiple birth dates for each character, you know, I figure I do what I want. That's always the most fun. So, like, um, the earliest we got with Derek's birthday was that it was in November. But then they put out an official Teen Wolf calendar and put it on Christmas. And oh, when they that noise. When, and when they were asked <laughs> about the inconsistency... I think it was Jeff Davis, maybe it was somebody else, said that um, that the ID you see with it being in November, actual ID, California ID, um, 
was uh, a fake ID. I'm like, well, if it's a fake ID, why would it have his real name on it? Because <laughs> it said Derek Hale on it. Who gets a fake ID and puts their real name on it? And so, honestly, why would he need a fake ID? He was already an adult. Exactly. I guess, and then they made him older. So I guess the fake ID was making him younger. Oh, that's so dumb. So he had a fake ID with his real name on it, his birthday being a month and a half earlier, and making him younger. That's crazy cakes. You know, it's just the thing is, is they established when his birthday was, and then they forgot that they established it. That's what they were doing. And they just, he just thought the fans were going to be stupid enough to believe the whole fake ID story. Um, well, he would also have us believe that he's not continuously punishing his ex-boyfriend uh-huh. by naming characters Derek and ruining them. Yeah, and having them all sexually abused. Yeah. I mean, that's a particularly interesting like little trend there, Mr. Davis. Um, you name characters Derek, you have horrible things happen to them, and there's a sexual abuse component as well. I, I, I think your Freudian slip might be showing. Um, I think he's wearing his Freudian slip as a dress. Yeah. So, anyway, um, that's one of the th I do take sometimes I take some liberties with canon details when canon is inconsistent. But otherwise, I just, it's, I try to, you know, stick as much with the canon as I can in a canon divergent AU, uh, filling in gaps, you know, but where canon outright contradicts itself, pick the lane that works best for you fill in all the other gaps and just stay consistent with your own world building. That's like the best advice I can give anybody about how to do that. Because Teen Wolf is so light on the supernatural world building on a supernatural show. So. I mean, we get an immense amount of world building in Harry Potter, but we don't get a lot of magical theory. Yeah. Which is deeply frustrating. And I think that Team Wolf suffers from the same thing, is that there's a lot of world building, but the parts that are really interesting are missing. Well, the thing is, that, yeah, but even in the world building, it's like they just throw random things at you. They throw, oh, here's a chimera, and here's a fairy, and here's a this, and here's a that. Here's a mermaid, here's a kelpie. And yet they don't really do any kind of actual substantive information about them. Right. It's just all surface. It's very shallow. Right. And they talk well, about magic, but they don't ever do any actual magical world building. You, know, you find out there's, you know, Duroks and there's Druids and Styles. They talk to Styles about having a spark, but they don't really explore that. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's so light, which actually makes it easy in some ways to, for me to work at a canon I don't know all that well, is I can lock in certain critical events and then since a lot of the stuff I'm interested in writing about is a fucking blank I just write my own thing which I'm probably happier with anyway well let's do one more and then we'll close this two part podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay the second two part podcast <laughs> did we Did we have another one did someone have another one Me? for us yeah what was it Julie provided an excellent example of Noah being clued in on the supernatural in unobstructive views. You should totally check it out. But let's pick a different fandom if we can. Okay. I think it explores the logical consequences of Scott's behavior being examined by some responsible adults. Queenie, I will take you up on that plot drift some other time because I'm curious about the idea of it. But 
let's let's explore that because um, I do always tend to explore it the, the way you've said. Um, oh, that's right, Ellie. You mentioned that one earlier. Gibbs doesn't come back from Mexico. Okay. Okay. Let's do the Mexico one. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm actually thinking through that one because again, it all okay. depends on what, what you want to happen, right? Okay, so Gibbs doesn't come back from Mexico. Um, he came back originally because Ziva was in trouble and she called him. Um, if he doesn't come back, uh, the FBI hunts her. I think if they catch her, she fights back and they kill her. Okay, that's one consequence, yeah. Tony is at the start or about to go undercover to seduce Jean Benoit. Mm -hmm. Um Maybe the death of Ziva. That would it, it would throw everything off. In fact, Ziva would probably be convicted in death of that incident, which could get Shepard in a hellacious amount of trouble. Yeah, they'd look really into her, and it could pull. It'll pull all that apart. And Tony and Tim are left picking up the pieces. And I think if Ziva gets killed, Gibbs doesn't come back from Mexico. I mean, the next thing that happens after Ziva is Fornell gets in trouble, but I think that Fornell could. I don't think I don't think Gibbs is actually that instrumental in solving that problem, um, in in a way that somebody else who owed Fornell a favor couldn't have resolved. So, um, but I think the biggest ripple is that it would get Ziva killed, or she would get herself killed, being being herself, which would ripple out and probably hit Shepard. Well, especially if the FBI it, it went to Ziva's apartment and they found that she had classified information on a laptop. And she would have at that point. Yes, she absolutely would. Which would then definitely spark an investigation. Unfortunately, in this particular case, into Ziva's whole team to make sure none of them... Uh, Tony and McGee would, Tony would be getting an anal probe. Unfortunately, that that would be the repercussions of that. There would be no undercover because, you know, Tony was setting up the undercover op at that point. He wasn't really full on into it yet. Um, he may have met Jean, but they I don't think they were really dating at that point. So Tony's life is going to go on hold while he's investigated intently by the FBI. Because they're going to be looking at everybody on Ziva's team. She had access to classified information. How did she get it? How did she get access, even get access to it? Who authorized that access in the system? Shepard's going to get suspended. Shepard's probably going to try to throw somebody under the bus. The question is who? Is she going to try to throw Gibbs under the bus? That's probably not smart. Would she try to throw Tony under the bus? That Tony was Tony doesn't have the ability to give Ziva the access that she had. She, I agree with you. He doesn't. doesn't mean she wouldn't make the attempt. But I don't think anybody's the FBI except for Stacks would fall for it. Yeah. Well, the FBI has a history of, which is exactly what they did in um, when Jean accused Tony of killing her father. Yeah, Stacks would try because that's what he does. Well, it's, it's, does he have, I mean, what is that? Is it like an inappropriate boner gone wrong? I mean, well, he seemed to. Did Tony say no? In frame-up, Tony just wasn't respectful of the process, and, and he was just very just disrespectful to, to, to Sax, and Sax just seemed to take it really personally. But in the episode with Jean, um, 
when Jean made the accusation, the FBI pursued it full force. That wasn't Sachs who was who was driving that. They were doing and they they knew Tony wasn't guilty. They were doing it because they believed that Shepard was guilty and they were trying to get close to her. And Shepard, um, Gibbs called in his favor with Trent Court to get the F to get the CIA to claim responsibility for Rene Benoit's death to get Jenny off off the hook. But the FBI was never actually after Tony, but they did arrest him and and give him put him through interrogation and act like they were going after him when they were really trying to get to Shepard. So what would they do in this circumstance? I think that they would probably if it, make a similar play is even if they knew that Tony and McGee didn't have anything to do with it, they could make waves of investigating them to get into NCIS so that they could investigate Shepard. I think in-house. that their best access point at that, at that point would not be Tony. It would be Tim because if anybody has given her illegal access in NCIS, it's Tim. He's the one with the ability to grant to to hack right. and give her access. Yeah. So if if it's like if there's no record proving that Shepard gave her the access, it would fall down to yeah, or it, it, Tim or Abby. But I think Tim is more likely because she could control Tim with sex. Yeah, and the FBI would probably approach it that way, even if they really believe that it was Shepard. They would probably mm-hmm. take that approach. You know, again, this canon precedence for FBI's way of approaching NCIS is to do just this kind of thing. It's find the most likely angle and apply pressure until they can get close enough to investigate the person they really want. I mean, I think Tim would be that target. Now, Jenny trying to help or harm Tony at that stage to protect her investigation, any of that nature could. So she tried to draw attention to him. That she doesn't to, want. She doesn't want to reveal it, her undercover shit. Right. But it would, it would be very suspicious. But trying to steer them away from him would also draw attention to him and to, into the undercover shit. So she could actually make a point of pulling Tony aside, telling him, you need to be really quiet about this investigation. The FBI is on a witch hunt. And she could actually try to play him and be like, they're going after McGee because they know they can't get to me um, because, you know, all this stuff. Well, and, they, and you just have to count. You, then you have to determine how much Tony's going to fall for any of this. I would write it so he doesn't fall for it at all. That He's instantly suspicious. Because he would know immediately that McGee didn't give Ziva access to classified information. He would know that immediately. And so he would know that Shepard was trying to manipulate him into staying out of sight or she could do, she could say something like, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm suspending you pending the outcome of the investigation into the team. But I want you to know that I know you didn't do anything. Just keep your head down and don't talk to anybody without an attorney. And don't say anything, you know, don't say anything you don't absolutely have to. And she could just be, she could really try to prep him about how to handle this situation. And it all could make him very suspicious. Like, why is she trying to get me out of the way? Well, I like any idea that starts with Ziva dying. Yeah. I I just don't think Tim at that stage in canon gave... Gave Ziva access. I, I honestly don't think he has, even if he, he, he could only do it through hacking, 
And I don't think at that stage in Canada, this doesn't make sense. No, I don't think he did, but I think that would be what the, I think that would be the FBI's entry point. No, no, but the question, the question of in terms of ripple exploration in, in the chat was what if they're interrogating Tim and he gives up Jen because he did give Ziva access or something under Jen's orders, or he knew something he shouldn't have. I don't think Jenny Shepard would have been stupid enough to confide in McGee at that stage. Um, but McGee's a hacker, so he might have noticed that Ziva had more access than she should have. I pr- it's my head canon that Tony noticed that she had more access than she should have. But um, it might come out that either one or both of them filed complaints about it. Yeah, which is what I, I, I work with the complaint thing in uh, DeNovo that mm-hmm. Tony had you know, made appeals to get clarification from legal if she should really have the access she has. Um, so you could do something like that. Um, the thing is, in a canon divergence situation, you can have all that stuff going on behind the scenes, but the outcome of those complaints have had to have been, you know, quashed by Jenny or by legal or by someone. Otherwise, it would have necessitated a change in canon. You could do a ripple where Tim actually reported it. Yeah, he could have reported it. I just, if, if this is, if, if these are events that occurred before the point, the start of the story, which is Ziva gets killed and they're investigating and stuff. If your divergence point is that Tim, actually, I don't think I would have the divergence point be that Tim reported it. I would just have that be something that happened and that Jenny got it covered up. Um, I think it would be best if both Tim and Tony did it. It's like a CYA thing. Yeah. And, I see Tony doing that. First thing is the CYA. Yeah, I agree. So, um, but because that doesn't contradict them reporting it and it getting quashed or kept quiet or investigated and they're told that it's resolved and everything's fine. Um, because that doesn't contradict Canon, it's okay to have fill in, fill in that detail. But if they report it, and something happens and there's an investigation into her access, then that is a ripple into canon. And then that becomes a different divergence point, which is completely different than the one we're talking about where Gibbs doesn't come back and Ziva gets shot. But I do agree. I think in this scenario where Ziva gets shot and they inve- they investigate, they would try to apply the pressure on Tim. And McGee could be all like, I reported it. Tony reported it. We both reported that. And we were told that everything was fine. And they could say, well, there's no records of those reports. And he could say, I, I, wait a minute, I've got copies. I've got copies. I've yeah. Got, I've I got proof see either that one I of them, Yeah, not having a copy of that. Because that's a CYA, folks. Always cover your own ass first. Okay, so then what? So, um, eventually, so this, this takes, this takes Shepard out. You know, McGee and, 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 uh, so, this comes, becomes, you know, following these ripples. So you've got your central idea, which is that Gibbs doesn't come back and Ziva gets shot. These are the ripples of those events. And then you have to figure out what story you're trying to tell. You know, are you telling a story where Tim and Tony um, decide to leave NCIS and they go start, you know. Um, Vance uh, is a deputy, of which there are many. I don't think in the wake of finding out Mossad is spying on NCIS that Vance would have a chance in hell of being the new director. 
I because agree. he has a pretty tight connection to Eli David, and I think that would tank his career. He probably wouldn't even keep his job, much less be made the director. Um, I don't. It's. I don't think we find out that Ducky knew about her condition until later in the season. So it's not clear when her condition became an issue. Um, and that was season. Actually, that was season five. So we're talking about like at least a season to a season and a half. So I don't think Ducky knows she's got a condition at this point. So it, at, we're talking about the beginning of season four. Um, Jenny Shepard didn't die until the end of season five. Um, and where in there Ducky found out about her condition, I believe, is sometime in mid-season five. But I don't think it would affect Ducky at that point. Um, does that remind Tim and Tony that Tim, that Tony taught him everything when he started in Good Close Hazards? Respect Tony again. Um, maybe. Maybe. I mean, the thing is, when when Ziva was gone, uh, this is canon. When Ziva was gone, uh, at, in the in that summer between season six and season seven, Tony and Tim, their relationship got sorted. They worked really well together. They didn't have the apparent conflict that existed on the team at, at practically all the times. Uh, so I think there's there's found there's canon foundation and canon that was, I think without Ziva being a shit stirrer that McGee would get his head turned on straight. On the other hand, you could also make the case that at that point in time, McGee is about to be a published author, um, that he was really on his high horse at that point. Um, so yeah, I think you could go either way with him. You could write, it depends on what you, how you want to write him. Honestly, the FBI investigation into McGee would probably uncover his book and he would be in a world of trouble. That's true. As he should have been in canon. Because he wrote fan fiction about his co-workers. Poorly disguised fan fiction. And published um, it. I promise you, if I wrote fan fiction about my co-workers, nobody would be able to tell. Um, yeah, defamatory. And also dangerous, because he revealed enough about his team that somebody was able to find out who they were. Um, and in Tony's case, that practically, I mean, that could got that could have gotten him killed because he works undercover so much. Um, it's it's it was an outrageous. You just gave me a plot bunny. Oh, you're welcome. And you are welcome too, fandom. <laughs> what what if we're not going to really explore this, but just think about it. What if? In addition to the crazy fan who started killing people, what if another fan who, you know, of Deep Deep Six did put up a fan page with all the inspiration characters and their pictures and their addresses and stuff and totally compromised the operational security of the team? Oh. What if there was like the worst case scenario fallout? Well, not, not death, but what if that what if that connection was made and a fan put up that page and compromised like Tony's cover identity, um, put all that out there. And uh, Tony's the one who'd be the most hit hard hit by that. What if, what, and what, what, what if there were, what if they had to deal with the fallout of that? Tony's undercover career would be over. Well, the only way Tony is safe is if he either, I mean, he has to disappear. So my first inclination is to send him to Atlantis. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Atlantis, he's going to go to Cheyenne Mountain. Actually, the thing is, I've, now I have this, I do have this headcanon. It's kind of lurking around back there that um, 
that Tony's a potential recruit for the SGC, but they don't really don't think they can get him away from Gibbs. So they just had never bothered. But Jack keeps an eye on him, you know. And when this fan page goes up, the first person who notices is the SGC. They I'm working, yeah. I'm digging and it. They, and they move in and they're like, Agent Dinozo, there's a problem. There's a security. Maybe and maybe they rescue, maybe they prevent him from going on an undercover mission when his cover is blown and he doesn't even know it. I'm not mad at that idea, Ellie. <laughs> Ian can come visit Tony anytime. Um, anyway, that was a complete tangent. Look, Ian Edgerton lives a hard life. He needs bright, beautiful things to come home to. Yes, he does. Whether it's Tony Dinozo or Penelope Garcia or whoever your unicorn of choice is, he just needs the pretty. I think they'd fire McGee over that. I think they would. People are really always very hesitant to write. I don't know. I don't know why. People are always very hesitant to write that kind of serious consequence of people losing their job. I, so, I think that would be the least of his consequences. I just would don't be think getting it, fired. I'm not sure. Other than Tony initiating a lawsuit when, and Jimmy. I mean, Jim, Jimmy had serious foundation for a lawsuit. But other than suing him for defamation, um, I don't know what they could. If his... If his interpretation of his coworkers in his fan fiction that got published and made an internet that was that was that became a bestseller caused compromised operational security of the premier team of the NCIS Washington branch. I mean, it wouldn't be treason, but it would be. I mean, you could make a case for depraved indifference. Yeah, definitely. I definitely. If Tony had gotten hurt, it would be depraved indifference. Um. But if nobody's in hurt, other than the fact that he fucked up, you know, he could have gotten hurt. No, I don't really think it meets the burden of espionage either. Unless he used case material in the book that was classified. And surely, well, there was more than one book, but surely he didn't do that, right? Well, that's not really clear because they the way the book is described, it it sounds like they're an investigative unit. Uh, and considering that he couldn't come up with original characters, do you think he came up with original plot lines? Now, probably I, I, not. I, mean, I wrote I wrote it that he mirrored cases a little bit, a little too closely, but that he didn't actually release any classified information. Um, but someone could write it that he did. I mean, yeah, you could write it that he actually did put classified information in a book. I tend to think he wouldn't be quite that stupid, but. What do you mean? Gibbs wasn't actually there when the first book came out. Gibbs was on his, his siesta. Um, right. Gibbs knew in twisted. Well, the book came out. I think the book came out in early season four. So Gibbs was back when it actually came out. Um, I mean, they all found out about the book. But, but even if Gibbs knew about the book, that doesn't mean he knew the content of the book. Yeah, I mean, Gibbs is the kind of guy who's sort of like, you know, they found out about, but didn't they find out how close they were in the book because of the person who, yeah, they, yeah, that was after Gibbs came back. But I thought they found out about the book and how much how closely it mirrored them because of the person who tracked him down not and was using his manuscript to kill people, right? Personally, I don't see how it could have possibly have been it it could have gone through legal because 
he wrote fan fiction of his coworkers, and he turned one of them into a necrophiliac. Um, and I don't see how any lawyer, any lawyer, let that go. Because it was so obvious that it was his co-workers that a fan figured it out. So you mean to tell me that somebody actually that works in the building with Gibbs didn't recognize Gibbs? In well, especially, especially since the character's name was L.J. Tibbs. Tibbs. <laughs> I mean, come on. And that, that says to me that Legal never saw that book. Yeah, the book is called Deep Six, The Continuing Adventures of L.J. Tibbs. And the next book is called Deep Six, Rock Hollow, The Continuing Adventures of L.J. Tibbs. I mean... Well, having Gibbs having a copy of it after it's published does not equal it having gone through legal in NCIS. Did Gibbs have it or did McGee have it? And they were at McGee's apartment. Well, but, you know... I don't know. But again, Gibbs having a copy of the book after it was published does not equal a lawyer at NCIS looking it over. Because I just don't think, I don't see how it could have possibly have made it to the publisher if that was the case. When even some asshole on the street recognized Gibbs from the book. Or that asshole in the interrogation room. Or, you know, I mean, whoever, it just doesn't make any sense to me that a, that a lawyer at NCIS, NCIS ever saw that book. Okay, here's the, here's the dust jacket, what the dust jacket says, the inside cover says about Deep Six, The Continuing Adventures of L.J. Tibbs, Volume 1. The year is 2006. L.J. Tibbs is rebellious by nature and scarred by childhood tragedy in the southern community of Spectre. An outcast in his own world, he drinks to alleviate the burden of mis messianic complex. I don't think that's spelled right. The aftermath of one of his hair-raising investigations find L.J. Tibbs and right in the middle of an unspeakable crime that costs a young woman her life. Tibbs finds himself trapped in the underworld of a local crime syndicate which has a need to administer a terrifying revenge on the family members of a rival family. But the revenge they seek is two-edged sword, and the price is Tibbs' own sanity as he recklessly pursues his quarry in a chilling double-twist climax that surpasses anything Gem City has written before. So this isn't the first book that Gem City published. Apparently not. So... In the dust cover of his book, he both proclaims his boss is an alcoholic who thinks he's the second coming of Christ. Yes. I don't know how Gibbs didn't kill him. I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. And then one of the reviews on the back, which is hysterical because the back cover of the book... Um, this is a review written by Chad W. Murray of the Film Actors Guild. Well, the funny thing about that is Chad Murray is Sean Murray's brother. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Who plays Tim McGee. Right. So. He says, unfortunately, the book's greatest weakness is L.J. Tibbs himself, a renegade cop stereotype difficult to feel for because he does not seem real, certainly less real than some of the characters surrounding him. Why the hell would they put such a terrible book quote on the on the on the jacket? Well, they have multiple quotes, so that's the last one. So they got a novel of satisfying complexity and bite. Boy, these words, letters are so small. A novel of satisfying complexity and bite and verve. 
a dazzling leap of imaginative sympathy and narrative magic. Oh my God. Here you go. I'll send you, I'll give you guys the, the deep <laughs> you, guys, you guys have to read this for yourself. It's, oh yeah. I'd, I'd say it's pretty fucking meta. Yes, Susan. Federal employees do have to approve have approval for outside employment. So the book and him doing a um, him having contracted to write to to publish this book should have fallen under those guidelines. Yes, um, realistically speaking, but there's nothing realistically speaking to be had in the NCIS canon. A remarkable display of wit and rage. The long-awaited novel is outrageously clever, surrealistically imaginative, mordantly witty, and funny in spots. It is also densely overwritten and tedious. <laughs> Fanity Vare magazine. Whatever. I do think that um, this investigation would tank the book. Yeah. I wonder if Fornell makes an appearance in the book. Well, it's not explicitly called out anybody but um, Tony, Ziva, Gibbs, J Jimmy, Abby, and McGee. But uh, my assumption is that Ducky is also in there. Um, and uh, um, I, f I figure Fornell is too, in some fashion. Some probably insulting fashion. His name is probably... Tornell. Ducky being goosey, I'm pretty sure that that's Fanon. I don't think that that's actually... And if it's Be actually true, then Ducky should have whooped his ass. I've seen, I the mean Ducky I've seen the Ducky being goosey thing in multiple stories. But I don't think that actually is mentioned in any of the episodes. And um, that's one of the reasons why. Because I couldn't verify that in anything I've ever seen in NCIS. I went a completely different direction when I referenced the book. I used Dr. Moulard, which is a different name of a different different duck breed than a mallard but honestly uh jimmy should have sued his ass oh yeah because jimmy the, the guy who dreams of copulating with corpses should have sued him sued the only thing that timmy that jimmy ever banged in the morgue was michelle which one person too many being banged in a morgue true not hot folks not a hot trope people need can't being so <laughs> hot for each other they can't wait to get out of the morgue before they take their clothes off not a little hot. gross not hot not hot it's not hot just saying it's not hot um <laughs> but i mean there's always it's interesting ripples to explore um with Gibbs not coming coming back either because Ziva now Ziva actually went to Mexico as I recall um, to get Gibbs, but what if he wasn't there? What if he was, you know, on a boat? Or if somebody posited earlier that the Reynosas could have found him and killed him, um, or um, I try not. I mean, I usually leave the whole epic body count thing to Kira, so that's usually not my mo. But you know, I could, I could start, I could start off with <laughs> multiple dead. <laughs> Just start off with killing everybody extraneous. You know, if you're gonna kill Gibbs while you're at it, you might as well kill Mike Franks too. Yeah, well, yeah, they just need to get, they just need to go down on that ship together. 
Because you can actually trace Gibbs's corruption to Franks, and I straight to I, Mike I, Franks. I can't. I can't stand Franks. That scene in in Swan Song, when Franks dies and all of the team, Abby and and McGee and you know, well Tony's not crying, but Ziva and McGee and Abby are all crying, and he he's hugging them all. I was just like, Franks was such a dick. He was such a dick. Why are you people crying over that asshole? Franks preyed on Gibbs's grief of his wife and child to orchestrate a murder. Because he couldn't get enough evidence to get the guy extradited to pay for his crimes. Right. So he did the wrong thing. And then it, he used that as, as a means of manipulating Gibbs, right? I mean, Gibbs felt like he owed Franks for that. He owed Franks for doing the wrong thing. I mean, Franks committed a crime and Gibbs owed him. It just it was just so bizarre. So um, Gibbs should have gotten some fucking therapy and the police should have pursued the Reynoses and Pedro Hernandez. Um, if Franks wanted to hit that guy dead, he should have died himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. As opposed to pointing a grieving father at, at Gibbs. Gibbs didn't, he used his own fucking sniper rifle. I mean, that's because he, he, he fully intended on getting caught and punished for it, but he got away I, with it. Yeah. I actually, I, I have to double check the episode, but I actually don't think he policed his brass either. Well, no, because Abby had something to do forensics on. Was that just a bullet itself? Well, they got the bullet out of Hernandez. They, you know, uh, Alejandro Rivera pointed Abby at, they, they knew where Pedro had, you know, where his body was. So they pointed Abby at that and the bullet was there. But I thought there was also the brass that had been, I thought they had both the round and the brass. But I, I'd have to rewatch that episode. Although I really hate Spider and the Fly. It's just that that whole arc I found really irritating. Um, because that also was the arc with the private military contractor, What's-His-Face, and that lawyer who slept with Gibbs, um, took up his apartment and nothing but a trench coat. Please, can we never, ever use that cliche again? Because it got old about 45, 50 years ago. Yeah, the woman who shows up with a pair of panties underneath a trench coat. So done with that. So done. Um, now, if Tony wants to show up at Ian's house in a pair of panties and a trench coat. <laughs> we could talk about... Now, that would not be a cliche. We could, Yeah, it wouldn't be a cliche. It would be reimagining the cliche. Um, For the modern world. Allison something. Um, no lace. Lace is, lace is chafy. I, I don't know what people... I mean, who wants he lace over there? lace edge. No, lace is pretty. La lace is edge. He deserves is fine, it pretty. It can't be all lace because it's but chafy. Both. both. A little um, silk. A little lace. Yeah. Uh, Allison, I can't remember, Allison, Allison Hart. M. Allison Hart. Is that her name? Allison Hart? her. She was working for that PMC guy um, who was played by the guy who played Marshall Sumner. Um, and they were hired. He the That guy was actually working for the Reynoses. And, you know, it, it was just and she's the one who helped cover up the no. No. I'm, I'm boycotting that. No. Um, 
I can't. <laughs> what was I saying? I'm ruined. I don't. My <laughs> my brain rebooted. I can't. I don't I have no. I have no idea what I was saying. <sighs> yeah, I know I was talking about Allison Harp. I don't remember what the point of talking. Oh, she she um somehow eventually. I don't know if it's because she was banging Gibbs or what. Um, she uh helped cover up the crime in the end. I don't, she did something to help bury the report for a while. I, I hated that arc so much. I didn't really want to ever watch it more than once, but she was, I think she was initially sent in to kind of seduce Gibbs to get close to him. But the whole thing was really murky, but why Gibbs would sleep with her was just, he hated lawyers. Oh, stop. Okay. I give up. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, you know, honestly, I like panties that look like panties and not like, like, dick slings, um, personally. And on the dick sling note, I am done rippling, so, um, did you have anything else you wanted to ripple? I think, I think that pretty much covered it all, and, um, I lost the Chad. Oh, I'm in the wrong one. I'm not gonna find it on... <laughs> You gotta be Just in the right. right am I? Gotta, no, <laughs> you got you gotta be in the right server. So, <sighs> okay, I think we've explored all the ripples that we can for this two-part podcast. Um, so we shall catch you guys later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.